0: I want to tell you something and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life from innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory. I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say, it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else and this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes and we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support, and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com.
1: You can tank high intensity performance, just tank it on a keto diet. Um, and when people speak otherwise, you know, you're looking at research where people are doing push ups or pull ups where it's your own body weight. So if you drop body weight, but you're also getting weaker, then proportionally, You might stay the same you might be like hey i'm getting weaker but i'm i weigh less so i can move my body just as well that's very very different than sprint times that's very very different than your bench press um it's different than uh there's research looking at elite race walkers and how they underperform when they're eating uh, keto diet so on a health front on a performance front i mean to me the jury is in on that one
0: And becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, Plant Strong people. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and I want to welcome you to another episode of, you guessed it, the Plant Strong Podcast. It is hard to believe that it's been two years since. The Game Changers documentary debuted in the fall of 2019. And since then, it has shattered all kinds of records when it comes to documentaries. An estimated 100, I'm going to repeat that, 100 million people in more than 190 countries have watched the film, making it the number one most watched documentary of all time. That is so cool. In fact, it even gave birth to a phenomenon appropriately dubbed the Game Changers effect for the way that it influenced eating behaviors across the globe. Today, I'm going to revisit the film and talk about nutrition and performance with the chief science advisor of the Game Changers, David Goldman. David was literally born for this role as a sports nutritionist and exercise physiologist, because it is right at the intersection of performance, health, and the benefits of a plant-based diet. He was the one who crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's on the science and the research behind this film. So if you're looking to gain an edge in your performance, you're going to absolutely love this conversation. And yes, we talk about the P word, Mr. Protein, Mrs. Protein, and he answers your nutrition and performance questions as well. Enjoy this game-changing chat with Mr. David Goldman. What I would love to do before we kind of dive into a bunch of questions and stuff is you've got a ton of initials after your name. What what do all of them mean?
1: Oh, it's just junior, David Goldman Jr. Because my dad was also is also David Goldman, so that's
0: so, that's exactly what i meant
1: cool all right so let's get right to the no so um i appreciate that and, and my dad's jerry so it's not <laughs> i was lying from the from the get-go um so i just uh you're asking what like what my education is and,
0: and what yeah is. yeah i mean you got i mean literally there must be like five or six different you know letters and i don't know what all that means some of them but
1: yeah some of them are made up but um yeah no, so i have a a dual degree uh from Columbia University Teachers College, Columbia University. Uh, it's a, a grad degree in applied physiology and nutrition. So it's like exercise science and nutrition. Um, I became a, a registered dietitian. Uh, what else? I, oh, I, I got a, a CSSD means Certified Specialist in Sports Dietetics. So like a, a sports dietitian. Yep. Um, and then I have a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Uh, sir. So, you know, if you wanted to be a, a strength and conditioning coach, um, then this is a, a great certification to have. It comes through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So, those are those are the,
0: those are, the those are
1: my no- credentials. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I think when 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 I met you in 2018, you had just left, or you were still with True North. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I had been working at True North. Um, I I still work with them uh, from afar a bit. Just recently, I helped them develop a questionnaire to do some uh, uh, scientific literature. You know, they're, they're basically going to run some studies and see how compliant are people eating a super healthy whole food plant based diet, devoid of added salt, oil, and sugar. And so, trying to help them figure out how to um, really check in and see if people were compliant with the diet. So I still work with them, um, from afar on occasion, but yeah, I'm full-time with the game changers now.
0: And And so, and so what do you think the results of that compliance, uh, is going to look like?
1: Oh man, I, I wish I could tell you it's really hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to get people to, um, to, I mean, cook in this incredibly healthy way I think what you do is a fantastic uh, way to get people there where, you know, it's not like zero added salt. Um, it's super healthy. It complies to the recommendations. It works for athletes. It works for uh, more sedentary folks. And so I feel like there's multiple different uh, yeah, ways of getting people there. And I think this is awesome if people have the support system. So I think compliance will be fantastic when people are highly motivated uh, when their family and friends uh get their lifestyle but I, I think i mean unless i'm deluding myself i think most people fall off because the food environment is a real tough one to navigate so yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be
0: relatively well, true north is pretty i mean it's sos free right yeah. so it's salt free oil free and sugar free um it's about as it's about as basic a whole food, plant based diet as you can get, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> and, is, and 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 is that how you currently feed yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, other than like bacon and salami. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than when I'm not having that. Uh, yeah, I'll totally eat as- No, I, I mean, to to I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in a weird mood. know
0: hey, no, guys, I have to, I have to let you know. David is going to throw a lot of curveballs, so just expect the unexpected, right? Expect the bacon, expect the mayo. You know, those little jabs are going to come in.
1: Yeah, no, I, if I'm being totally serious. And by the way, I had, like, barely any sleep last night, so you're going to get some bad jokes probably coming today. But, um, but yeah. No, Why? Say- Why
0: Why? no sleep? What were you doing? Were you watching, like, uh, Queen's Gambit or something?
1: Always. That's what, that's what I do. Queen's Gambit. I, uh. That's what no I mean I I I've been doing a lot of work I maybe at some point in the in the call today we'll talk about some of the research
0: I would love to yeah
1: it's exciting stuff it's it's a good reason to not get sleep it's not like my kids were screaming in the middle of the night but um yeah I I personally go just going back to your question I eat uh yeah 100% salt oil sugar free whole food plant based diet and I have for many years but I want to throw a qualifier in there because when people you know, when my patients have learned that that's the way that I eat, sometimes it can seem daunting and it seems unrelatable to a lot of people. So I just want to throw out that just because I do that personally does not mean that I recommend that everyone else do the exact same thing. I think it can do some damage when people think that you, no matter what, under all circumstances have to dive into the deep end. I think uh, that works for some people and for a lot of other people, for the majority of people, I think a more progressive behavior mm-hmm. change makes sense. So yeah, I do eat that way. My whole family does too, but, uh, but I'm, well, I'm not one size fits all.
0: So tell me, I, I, I kind of want to like pick that apart just a little bit. So salt free, what does salt free look like to you? I mean, does that mean you don't, you don't do anything in a package box or can, or if you do, it's got to say like zero grams of or zero uh, milligrams of sodium.
1: So I actually don't even look at the, um, at the number of milligrams of, or, or grams at this point of anything, in any of the foods that I'm eating. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, ha- I mean, if on the ingredient list, it says salt or anything with sodium, I mean, I'm eating, I'm buying one ingredient foods, right? So if I buy tomato paste, the ingredients, it's just tomato. Right. Um, and yeah. So really, I, I don't really notice the nutrition facts panel at this point. Um, but that's, yeah, it's really just simple as close to nature as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, and then sugar, I would imagine, um, and I think you and I both know this is the case, but you probably do a a lot of fruit. Yes.
1: I mean, a good amount of fruit. Not like, I'm not like a fruitarian.
0: So you're not like Robbie Barbero. No, of course not.
1: I think he's fantastic. And I have so much respect (laughs) for that man. And I love, I love his business. I love. I mean, Mastering Diabetes is gorgeous, yes. absolutely gorgeous, and he's doing everything right. I had the the pleasure of speaking with him once, and all of the potential guidance that I could possibly offer, he was already doing all of it. So he's the man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I definitely eat fruit. Um, and yeah, it's not like the mainstay of the of the diet. I think my my diet's built at least visually more around beans and greens. Yeah. But yeah, I love fruit, and every day I'm having a whole bunch of berries and cherries, and yeah, for sure.
0: Nice. Nice. So, so the game changers. So you said that, yeah, so you've pivoted away from true North. You now are working and you have been now for a couple of years, full-time with the game, with the game changers. Did that movie exceed your expectations as far as how well it was received? And it's now the most watched documentary of all time.
1: I was thrilled. I really was thrilled. I mean, I thought it did so, so well. Um, If it was up to me, I would have made it so dry with all the science and they figured out how to bring it to life in a way that was relatable. Um, that had, I think there was like uh like a firehouse scene in there. I don't know if you saw, but I mean, other than the guy who led that who I thought was kind of shady other than that, the rest of the, I mean, the firemen were fantastic. I thought it was really, really great. I mean, I, I, I think it addressed a whole bunch of pieces of the puzzle that, that people have questions about, you know, protein and B12 and, um, you know, just a whole bunch of different aspects from health to performance. So I, I was thrilled with it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, James and Joseph as far as I'm concerned are absolutely brilliant. And so I'm, I'm really, uh, I feel very fortunate to,
0: to, Yeah. I mean, was this a dream come true for you to, you know, given your background to be able to be invited to come on board is really like the chief, the chief science advisor for the game changers to make sure that everything was basically, you know, airtight. And it was going to pass any kind of stress test that uh, the community put on it. And Lord knows it has been stress test tested.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a dream. Honestly, like I feel like the job was, was, uh, I feel like I was built for this position. Like I, it's such a niche, field, right. At the intersection of performance and health and on a plant-based diet. I mean, I, I love it. I, I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's a a perfect match. Um, I really wouldn't have thought yeah, that it would even be possible. I remember when James and Joseph reached out in the very beginning to, to see if we could all work together. I remember thinking I would do this, I would do this for free as a side project, um, and continue to work at True North. Regardless of whether they brought me on full time, regardless of whether or not they paid me, just because I thought I, I feel like I'm um, very well equipped to take this on and collaborate with these guys in this way.
0: What was David Goldman's Galileo moment where you looked through that telescope and you saw something about plant based nutrition, whole food, plant based nutrition that kind of resonated with you? And it changed your whole trajectory of, of what you were doing as far as your career, your, your mindset and everything. Was there an aha moment or, or what, what happened that, that changed you? You're
1: saying like, when did I, when did I uh, go down this path? When did the, the fork in the road present?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How did it present itself? Who presented it to it? Or was it a book you read, a movie you saw, an individual that inspired you?
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. So um So there's this book that I read a long time ago, uh, is a red book and I forgot what it was called. It was like engine three, something like that. I think the author, his name was like Rich Fessel. Anyway, I I don't remember exactly what his name was, but it was a great book. And, uh, and I read that. The truth is I did read the book and I did love the book. Um, but I read that after I was, uh, yeah,
0: yes, yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> totally um, good, listener, listen, listeners again, another curveball here. So. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Bear, bear I'm, with us.
1: <laughs> I'm in a weird place. Um, no, I'll tell you the truth. So when I was a kid, my mom, uh, so I grew up in a family of omnivores, um, just like in New York, total standard American diet, even though my mom thinks that it was way healthier because I don't know, she, she got me like pallets we, we ate like pallets of Costco croissants, and I don't remember why she thought it was healthy, or I think she thought because it was baked. Like I, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, totally unhealthy, standard American diet family. Um, and one day we're eating uh, chicken wings or uh, chicken fingers. And my mom read to me a book called Diet for a New America. And I was a kid.
0: What and, could I have to stop you for a second? Yeah. What in the world are chicken fingers? Is it like the fingers of chicken? <laughs> oh yeah, it? yeah.
1: So chicken fingers, cool. Yeah, see that's that speaks to that you were raised in a in a healthier environment than I was, or maybe it's just it's an East Coast thing. I don't know. But <laughs> you're in Ohio, right? So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Um, your chicken fingers are like almost like breaded, breaded chicken. I don't, I don't think it's literally the chickens of the, of the fingers of chicken. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's like uh, yeah, like nasty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, I was eating chicken fingers and my mom was reading me this book, Diet for New America, because like I said, she was eating chicken fingers too, but this book spoke to, um, sort of what we were doing, the the problems of eating the, the typical Western diet and made a case for eating, uh, more plants. And she was reading it to me because, uh, she raised me to make decisions with sort of informed, informed decisions. You know, I, I it, it wasn't, she never wanted to to shield me from what was actually happening. So she wanted me to have all the information. And so she, she read that book to me, never thought that I was going to bat an eyelash at it, just thought that I'd have the information she had. And then I continued eating the way that I did, but I thought, no, I'm not going to do this. That's probably, I'm, I'm somewhere between like five and seven years old. Um, and that's when I, I, uh, stopped eating meat at that point but then I went to college and I started lifting weights I joined the snowboarding team at Colorado University and I I wanted to be more athletic and I was completely convinced that in order to perform at a high level or really at any level I had to to build my diet around meat and animal products so I did and I pulled a 180 and I mean, I was getting like a gram of protein per pound of body weight, you know, standard bodybuilder yep. approach. Just, I remember the very first thing I ate was like a can of tuna fish. Cause it had, uh, that was my, my, my way of breaking the seal and, and starting eating meat because I saw how much protein it had. And I was thinking, there's no way I can do this with, you know, beans and, and, uh, grains and vegetables and stuff. So anyway, I did that. And then I, so I, I ate meat for a whole bunch of, t- uh, you know, many, many years. And then I went to grad school cause I thought. I'm just getting all my information from like, you know, Iron Man magazine and flex and
0: the bro science.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And they were great. And I loved learning from them, but at a certain point I thought, they're you know, they're referencing studies and maybe I could just read those studies that they're referencing. So I can make up my own, uh, you know, my own opinion. So I went to grad school and um, yeah, by the time, so I hit about 27 years old and I realized this is just, completely unnecessary for me to be eating these foods. If anything, I'm doing myself a disservice. So when I realized that uh, I could perform at a really high level in the absence of any of those foods that I thought were quintessential, um, I flipped back and I've been eating a
0: a whole food plant-based diet since. Right. And continuing to like, look at the research, the most latest studies, <clears throat> and always keeping yourself informed, right? You just love it
1: obsessively. That that so that's the kind of thing that, like, when I yeah. say I, I didn't sleep well, it's probably because some study came out, and I'm just thinking about it, and I'm thinking how can I uh, replicate that study, or or how would I have done it differently? And it's, I mean, it's it's like borderline profession obsession, <laughs> but I I am fixated on that intersection of health
0: and performance. Sure. Nice, nice. Well. Since I have you here, I'd love to uh, ask you some tried and true questions. Uh, you know, they may be a little bit of a yawn for you, but I think our listeners would love to hear what you have to say about them. And you know, obviously, the game changers, like you said, we pretty much delved into all the different, you know, busting the the typical myths that are out there uh, and letting 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 men and women know that listen, you can have optimal performance, you can build all the muscle you want. You can be supremely healthy and also do the environmental service by eating a plant-based diet. So I think the the number one. Let me ask you. Instead of asking you the direct question, I'll ask you. What do you think was the number one myth that the game changers busted?
1: Uh, I would say the the concept of that real men eat meat. Okay. From a number of different angles.
0: Yeah. Uh, can you talk about why, in fact? real men eat plants and how by eating plants, you can get all the protein you need?
1: Oh, sure. So, um, so that's one of the, one of the projects I'm working on right now is, uh, I'm, I'm James and I are co-authoring with a a couple of uh, colleagues, a scholarly review on protein and a plant-based diet and how I don't want to give away too much of the paper. Not that many people are going to read it, but that if you basically were to take, uh, a regular diet that people in um, you know, around the globe are eating in developed nations that are, you know, a plant-based diet and you just scale it up to the calorie needs of uh, you know, a bodybuilder or uh, you know, an endurance athlete. They're just by virtue of, you know, they're going to maintain, if you were to maintain the same percentage of calories from protein and then just scale that up to get the, the amount of calories that you actually need, you easily hit, the the quantity that you would require to not just get bigger and stronger but to max out that response to max out the size and the strength that you would get so it's um it's really easy to do um uh, a tricky piece and i'm also putting this into the paper is well what about people will say well wouldn't you end up getting so much fiber along with that, that that would be a problem, right? Because you're going to be so full. How are you going to get all those calories in? Because this is an effective diet for, for losing weight, right? So how can it also help you mm-hmm. to fuel performance and to even build muscle? And that really just comes down to, to gradually, this is what I was saying before, if you just dive right into the deep end, going from eating 16 grams of fiber a day, you know, like most people are doing to just jacking it up right now, my fiber intakes.
0: What is it? 80?
1: it's I mean it's it's never less than 110 grams in a day it's like (laughs) that's
0: (laughs) That's spectacular
1: it's a lot it's a lot and (laughs) it's uh if I were
0: what and what and what's your so if your fiber is typically 100 to 100 and you said 130
1: yeah like 110 120
0: what does that mean your your calories are do you have any idea
1: oh I mean it depends but uh on average somewhere around four and a half thousand, five thousand in a day.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead.
1: No, that's cool. And it depends on what I'm doing. Like if I'm backcountry skiing a bunch, it will be different than if I'm um, you know, in a in a research binge. It just depends on on what the lifestyle is like at that time. But yeah, I was just saying that the the slow transition can be really helpful because if you were to go from 16 grams of fiber to 120, you did that in a week because it's New Year's and yeah. that's what you're resolution is, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so, you know, that progression makes a lot of sense, but just going back to, to your question that it, it's very, very, very easy. If you're exercising training hard um, and also trying to actually add mass, you just hit that protein requirement real easy. And even if you weren't eating four and a half thousand calories a day, you can mm-hmm. definitely also get the amount of protein that you require eating a plant-based diet. So on February 18th, there was a really cool study that was published uh, in the journal Sports Medicine, where they compared a uh, an omnivorous diet where people, you know, they, they ate meat and animal products and they supplemented with whey protein to hit the amount of protein that you require to maximally grow. And they compared that against a plant-based diet, a, a completely plant-based diet, and they supplemented that diet with soy protein. I'm not saying you need to supplement with protein, I'm just saying yeah. a study that matched the two head-to-head. And they both built the same amount of muscle, same amount of strength. Um, and so it really just speaks to the, like we were saying before, that the, the the myth is that you need the way and that you need the chicken breasts. And in my case, I guess when I was a kid, chicken, chicken fingers, <laughs> Yeah, you need all that stuff and you just don't. And there's so much literature suggesting otherwise. Um, and you see it play out in the strength and conditioning room. You see athletes crushing it. Um, And those anecdotes are backed up by really great uh, research. So yeah, it really is a myth. And it's, uh, it feels wonderful to help
0: uh, crush that. Hey, everyone, taking a quick break to share with you our next RIPs Rescue event. This free webinar will focus on men's health in honor of Men's Health Month. Women, you're also absolutely invited to attend. That's gonna take place on Sunday, November 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I've invited my friends, Dr. Aaron Spitz, who you all know from the Game Changers documentary. He's the famous urologist that worked with the collegiate athletes. And he's also the author of The Penis Book. I'll also be um, inviting my friend, Dr. Brian Aspill. Cardiologist and lifestyle medicine physician. Both these wonderful doctors will join me in focusing in on the biggest threats to men's overall health. You won't want to miss this event, it is completely free and will be recorded. And for all who join us, you're going to receive a bundle of Plant Strong holiday recipes. Simply visit the show notes to register or go to planstrong.com. Thanks. So uh, I, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 60 and I have not ever figured out or counted how many grams of protein I consume in a day. I just eat, right? (laughs) And I let my weight be my guide. People are just obsessed with the protein and how much protein should I be getting? You know, I'm a, you know, 58 year old female and I do CrossFit and I, do cross country skiing. And, um, you know, I just don't know, or if if you're sedentary and if you're a bodybuilder, I mean, do you have that broken down as far as sedentary active endurance athlete and then trying to build muscle?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to throw all that in the paper too. You can see, this is why I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I'm thinking about it and I'm writing about it, but yeah, I can throw, you want me to throw some numbers at you? I would,
0: I would love that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So the, um, beginning at the, the low end of what people, you know, what, what requirements would be is something called the EAR or the estimated average requirement. And that's the, uh, the number is 0.66 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. This is something that the uh, Institute of Medicine came up with. And they said, this basically meets the needs of half of healthy individuals, the protein requirements for uh, I'm quoting I think it's like modest uh, levels of physical activity. So that hits half of people, but they thought, okay, well, 0.66, that's not enough. We don't really care what hits half of people. We want to really get everybody or almost yeah. everybody. So the RDA or the recommended daily allowance, they set that, they basically push that out to standard deviations and that's 0.8. So 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram body weight is enough to cover the needs of 97.5 percent of healthy people undertaking modest level of physical activity. And that's just enough to to prevent what's called nit—you know nitrogen losses. So you're not just losing tissue. That's not to say that you're going to be maximally growing anything or even, you know, for building, maxing out, uh, um, lean body mass, muscle mass. Um, the number is 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. So for the same person, we were just talking about it's 109 grams of protein. So that's what beyond that point, beyond that 109 grams, no additional, uh, benefits. Yeah. Uh,
0: And tell me, explain, explain to me what happens if you, uh, go over that as far as your, your protein intake, what happens?
1: So it's really, so, so when I, I kind of oversimplified it, I said 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram body weight, the the upper end of what's called the 95% confidence interval is 2.2. So basically that means that, um, it's totally safe, uh, from a building muscle and strength standpoint to go from anywhere from that um what was it 109 yep to 150 grams of protein um per day that they basically somewhere in that range is is probably going to you know be totally fine going above that um there's some speculation that it, it might lead to uh visceral hypertrophy the 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 organs that pack around our um sort of abdominals that those are potentially gonna grow um, in response to that. And I don't think anyone really is looking to make that happen. You know, we care more about the, the limbs, right? So like you call it appendicular lean mass. So arms and legs, like we want that to grow. It's not like we want some huge muscle guts. So in terms of if you really start to go up, I think a lot of it comes down to where are you getting that protein from? Are you getting it from uh from plant sources? Are you getting it from animal sources? Is it coming in a whole food package? Is it coming from processed foods? So there's a lot of speculation about what getting an excessive quantity of protein could do. And some people think it can damage kidneys and some people say that it cannot. And it's just, a lot of it just comes down to, um, you know, who, whose work you're reading. But I, I I think it's really hard to overshoot protein on a whole food plant-based diet. I've never seen anyone do that. Um, Any, any healthy person overshoot protein on a, on a whole plant is that. Yeah. yeah.
0: For, for people that are looking to, let's say to, sh- to get that, they're a, an endurance athlete. Would you recommend that they don't really need to focus on it just by consuming more calories, they're going to hit their, their, their protein requirements. Just like what you're doing right now mm-hmm. with your 4,000 calories, you're getting all you need. What do you, would you assume you're getting like one, 1. 1.4 um, grams per kilogram?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm getting more than that. I'm, I'm exceeding the 1.6. So I'm somewhere between the 1.6 and the 2.2. So I'm, I'm I, in the ideal spot for building muscle and getting stronger. And yeah, I mean, so I have, um, uh, in this paper that I'm writing, I have the, the two largest data sets looking at people eating plant-based diets. Um, one is the Adventists out of California yeah, and the other is called uh, Epic. It's the Epic Oxford cohort. It's basically a whole bunch of people in, uh, in England, And yeah, they're, they're, they're getting a high enough percentage of calories from protein that all they do is they exercise more and they get hungry. So then they eat more and then that just delivers everything that they need. And if you're getting a bunch of vegetables and beans and whole grains and nuts and seeds in your diet, and obviously, you know, I I think fruit is a fantastic thing to to eat as well. You know, you're going to get everything that you need. I mean, you can see it on the paper there. They're yeah. as a percentage of calories, they're crushing it. They're 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 doing wonderfully with protein.
0: Do you ever, ever mess with any protein powders or shakes or anything like that?
1: Um, I don't. Um, I'm not opposed to its use in certain circumstances. So for example, um, so I my my the patients that I work with at this point are almost entirely professional athletes. And some of them are uh fighters wrestlers um and sometimes they'll be aggressively cutting weight to you know mm. to for their for their uh for their fight for their competition and when you're slashing calories dramatically um and obviously we were saying before protein comes in as a percentage of your calories, so when you're eating less food, you're getting less protein and ironically that's the time when your protein intake, when your protein requirements would go up the most. So uh, when calories drop, but protein needs go up, that would be a scenario where we would uh, consider including protein powder. But the truth is, if you were to stay in kind of fighting shape, um, or as close to it as as you can year round, which I know is a really hard thing to do, um, you don't have to aggressively cut weight. Um, you can just drop a little bit of weight. And so that wouldn't necessitate the same bump in protein. So for the most part, I don't think protein powder is necessary. I do think it makes sense on a convenience uh, level for people who are, or or people who are just not getting that much food in, in a given day. But I I really think, especially like for health, I just don't see a, a point to it. It really just comes down to, to body composition and strength. But like I said, that can be done in almost all circumstances with with Whole Foods.
0: So you just mentioned that you've been working with some professional athletes, some fighters. I would imagine that you you and James and Joseph have gotten inundated since the Game Changers with athletes that are looking to kind of up their game, look at, looking for the edge, uh, especially around nutrition. Is your plate full uh, helping out a- athletes and professional sports teams? And and can you give us uh, a little sneak peek as to some who some of these athletes may be, or is it under wrap? I, I wish
1: I could tell you. Yeah, I mean, I, it's uh, so it would be uh, HIPAA, right? It'd be a HIPAA violation to drop their names, but um, but yeah, we, we're we're working with really high level athletes, um, like Olympic level athletes, athletes in the NBA, athletes in the NFL, NHL, uh, Major League Baseball. Like I think pretty much every Major league where we're working with athletes, and I mean, they're doing great. Yeah, my plate is full, I have like zero room left in my practice. Um, uh, we've actually got a, a bit of a wait list going. So, wow, very fortunate! <laughs> wow, yeah.
0: The,
1: the hope is that they'll um, be these role models, and that as they showcase to the world what's possible when they make their dietary change and then they go out and just slaughter their competition. that. That will be inspiring, and so a part of me, you know, I have like a guilty conscience in a way because I think I'm only helping the people who already have the resources to help themselves, and I could just take that effort and and help people who who are not um, quite as set up. But then I think I think there's going to be a, a trickle down effect more here when they're blasting, you know, however many Instagram followers with whatever their breakfast was that that hopefully there's the the capacity to make even greater change that way. So yeah. I have a internal conflict with that, but I think this is the right way to do it.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think so too. I can't imagine how much you're probably learning from some of these athletes as well, as far as, okay, what's working, what's not working. Oh, I can't believe that. I mean, uh, is that the case?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's a learning process. Uh, I, and, and just as much of it, Relates to how an individual responds to certain foods that they eat as the cultural component of changing your diet. And um, I worked in strength and conditioning for a bunch of years and uh, I got to witness firsthand what that culture feels like when, you know, it's a bunch of football players who are, um, you know, they're Mm going to, they're going to each other about uh, eating a block of tofu after a meal instead of brisket. And so, yeah, I learn a lot on the, on the cultural side of it. And I mean, this is, this, what I'm about to share is not like a, any remotely scientific observation, but it really does seem to me like the culture around the, you know, the, these, these team cultures are becoming more amenable, uh, more mm-hmm. interested rather than threatened by eating this way. And so that's the, I think that's the main thing that I'm learning is how do you navigate that space? How do you, you know, when there's, um, 50 guys and all of them are going to go out to a team dinner. Uh, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to help that person do what feels best to them and supports their performance in a way that doesn't have them feel alienated? So that, that sociological piece of it, um, I think is the part that I'm learning the most about.
0: I have a, I have a question for you. So this morning I woke up at about six thirty. I went to swim practice at seven. I swam for an hour I went about 3000 yards. All I had before I went was a big glass of water. And then about half an hour afterwards, I had a, a big bowl of oats, three different types of berries, a banana, walnuts, chia seeds. Would you advise me to do anything differently as far as eating, eating or drinking before I work out? And then how long before I consume something after I work out? Is it based on the individual? What do you think?
1: I mean, you're setting records doing yeah. what you're doing, and so I—I I would probably have to be a fool to start to tell you to dramatically do things differently. Not to say that even at the top of your game you can't get better, but um, I would say you're at least doing a lot right. Um, how, how long? How long does it take for you to to? For your, how long is your swim cla- uh, your, your swim practice? It's
0: an hour. An hour.
1: Gotcha. So, um, it gets, I'm going to get in the weeds a little bit, but obviously making sure that you're hydrated, you said you have water before the question is, is it a lot of water, a little bit of water, but like making sure that you're going into practice hydrated is is a really big deal. Um, now there's for the, for the most part, there's no real benefit from, uh, you know, having something like a Gatorade or any kind of carb, product you know if you were going the whole food plant-based route say raisins or whatever and there actually is research comparing raisins against conventional uh sports supplements and showing the raisins do do great Mm. um but at about an hour you're going to be totally fine if you were starting to to go well above that it would make sense to have fueled up before and or during but um no for your hour you're cool um there is some research showing that Training or events that are it's like forty-five minutes and a little bit up that there there might be a, a, a performance advantage from like a carbohydrate mouth rinse. So not even let, let's just use Gatorade as an example. Although I, I literally never drink Gatorade and I haven't yeah. recommended that any of my patients do. We'll, we'll opt for other things, but that literally just swishing that in their mouth, whether or not they swallow it, you could spit it out if you wanted to. That that um, in events lasting like really in your forty-five to an hour, let's say where you are here that that could actually improve performance, um, uh, as well, not through like, um, really through a, a neurological means, like, no, I'm sorry, neuromuscular means. So it's really just you're, you're getting your body to fire on all cylinders. Um, and so that's kind of cool, but really that's, I'm, again, I'm, I'm in the weeds. I think you're totally fine. I guess my short answer is you're totally fine the way you're doing it. Um, you are drinking all the water that you need to drink. If you had enough glycogen, right? Carbohydrate stored in your muscle yeah. the day before, which I'm sure you are going to do that. You're not going to wipe that out in an hour of swimming. Um, you're going to have everything you need to have performed. I think you could certainly play with it and see if you were to have a banana before you swim, see if you perform better or worse. Um, yeah. And you can start to tip it in that direction. But some people have sensitive stomachs and they don't feel good doing that right before they uh, train, so yeah. it's kind of a personal thing. But then, after you finish, um, your meal sounds great. You're grinding your chia seeds, though, right?
0: I didn't grind my chia seeds. I, I, I seeds do. I, I make sure that my my flax seeds are ground, but my chia seeds. No help. Help, help me out. Help me out.
1: <laughs> There's a, Let me just pull this up real quick. There's a um, some interesting research suggesting that not just the flax seeds, but the the chia seeds as well. Are worth grinding here. I just pulled it up. Really, otherwise, study.
0: otherwise, they pass through as well.
1: Yeah, you don't, just don't absorb um, as well hmm. fraction of the omega threes. So here, here's a, here's the study. In case anyone wants to look into it, the study's called "Chia Seed Supplementation and Disease Risk Factors in Overweight Women." Um, I know you're not an overweight woman, but this was uh, a real interesting study that spoke to
0: yeah. Um, Where do you? Where do you go to get all your uh, your science? What what site are you on right now?
1: Oh, this is on PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. Um, this is the the National yeah. Library of yeah. Medicine. It's right. um right. any scientific paper, yeah, is gonna come through there. Good. So anyway, yeah, definitely grind those chia seeds, but otherwise I have no complaints with you. Okay,
0: right. okay, good, good, good. All right. Hey, this is what I'd love to do here. If you got 10 more 10 more minutes, can you can you hang with me? We got, so we've got a community. It's called Mighty Networks. We got thousands and thousands of people. I just put a little post in there this morning saying, Hey, I'm going to be having David Goldman, the chief scientific advisor for the game changers on the podcast. Just hit me with any questions you want me to throw David. That's cool. Literally got over a hundred. So I'm just going to, you know, go through and just cherry pick a couple. Okay. So this is a, this is, this is Donna Donna's 72 years old. She is and, uh, act. She's active. She does yoga. She walks. She does HIIT. You know what that is? What's high that? High intensity
1: interval training. What is uh, it? High intensity interval training. Oh, Donna's <laughs> Don crushing it. She's she's crushing. It. She <laughs> no. could run laps around us both.
0: <laughs> she's crushing it. Her question is: As a seventy-two-year-old active female, do you recommend any supplements or vitamins that she should take?
1: Um, so before recommending a supplement, I mean, I, I like to just see what does the person's diet look like because the supplement, right? Just the nature that you're supplementing your, your diet with something else. So the question is, do you need the additional thing?
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, what I have had patients do is, uh, where we would do a collect a, a food diary or a 24 hour okay. recall or a three day food diary. So we can see. What is it that she's doing great with? What is it that she's falling short with? Um, so right off the bat, I mean, I can tell you, and this is not going to, I'm not going to win a Nobel prize for making this suggestion, but um, you know, you're eating a plant-based diet. You're going to need B12, right? I mean, B12 is a, is an obvious one, um, but I don't know if she's supplementing with that as it is. Uh, I don't know if yeah. she's getting vitamin D that she needs. I don't know if she's synthesizing what she needs. I don't know what the, you know, her, her skin complexion or where she lives and if she's getting sun exposure. So Donna, I wish I could help you more. But what I can say is um, people eating plant-based diets and really a lot of people who are not eating plant-based diets also would benefit from uh, upping their B12. We, we shared a study in the film um, from the Framingham offspring study showing that a huge percentage of, of omnivores are also low in B12. But anyway, B12 definitely makes sense if you're eating a a whole food plant-based diet. Um, and maybe if you're eating an omnivorous diet too. And then, you know, like I said, vitamin D, it just depends. you know, I don't know where you're at on your iron intake. I don't know where you're at in your calcium intake. Um, you know, some people are falling short in iodine. So you got to chronometer that for me, you got to put your, enter your diet into chronometer. C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R. It's a, a really solid way to visualize how close or, fall, or, or, or far you're getting to your uh, recommendations. So I would say okay. do that. Let's take it from there.
0: All right. Let's see if we can... So this, is a gr- this is the gold man, Goldman grab bag of questions. So let's see. Let's see. And I, I know this is going to be tough for you, but let's see if we can keep the answers to under a minute, Okay. <laughs> that's right. the goal.
1: That's the
0: goal. This is from Paul. He wants to know, is there any truth that vitamin A and vitamin E are more available and better from animal proteins versus plant proteins? And I have oh, no idea.
1: You give me, I mean, this is, it's a good question, but like under a minute, Rip, man. Um, I'm
0: just throwing it out there.
1: <laughs> world peace, man. Okay. So yes, I mean, vitamin A, uh, you get through retinol, uh, in animal foods and in plant foods, you're going to get things like beta carotene, which are precursors. And so, yes, you're going to absorb more retinol. Um, you, you convert, there's a way to sort of convert all these. And so what's called RAE and sort of you're, you're, you're turning these into equivalents. And the answer is yes, you absorb it more from animal foods. Um, but if you're eating a a regular healthy whole food plant-based diet, you're going to get so much of those vitamin A precursors that it's just irrelevant. Like it just doesn't matter. You're going to get everything that you need. It doesn't matter. You don't need to take more bioavailable vitamin A through animal food. It's just, it's, it's not necessary.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about when I mean, people talk about something that's more bioavailable in animals and it is plants, but that's not necessarily a good thing. When I had exactly. Colin Campbell on the podcast, he was saying how the bioavailability, bioavailability of the protein in animals may be better, but that's actually a bad thing. And they went on to explain why Uh, it's it's not a good thing. And and so it's almost like plants, if it's not that bioavailable, there's a reason why.
1: Right, exactly. And with vitamin A and E, it's a perfect example because those are fat-soluble vitamins. And so you're going to absorb them. They're going to store in your fat. It's not like a B vitamin where you just urinate excess out. So yeah, it makes sense to not want to load up too much of that. Yeah. And, and so I with you completely, and there are certain mechanisms. It's really interesting where, you know, with plant-based foods like iron, plant-based iron, so non-heme iron, you're going to absorb more of it when nice. you have lower stores, and you're going to absorb less when you have more replete stores. So do you want to just jam in heme iron um, regardless of whether you need it? So yeah, I think, I mean, this is, we're, we're way over our minute, but yeah, I mean, to answer that and, and as far as vitamin E is concerned though, no, you get mixed tocopherols in a plant based diet. And I'm not um, excited about any different
0: form of vitamin E you're going to get in animal foods. You're going to
1: get plenty from nuts and seeds, mm. for example. Uh,
0: Nina wants to know, this is for both you and me, but I'm going to throw it to you. Where do you guys get your self-discipline from?
1: Oh, wait, you go first. You go first.
0: To me, to me it's not self-discipline. To me, this is just... It's, it's a mindset that I have created and because of all the reasons, all the things that a plant-based diet gives me, it's not a discipline, I guess in some way, shape or form, it is a discipline, but it is, it gives me back so much that it's not, it's, it's not a chore and it doesn't feel like work. So now your turn, now your turn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was just trying to see if I could could draft off of your uh, hand. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like a, like you said, it doesn't feel like a discipline. I I think about how, uh, you know, I have a six-year-old and a five-year-old. There's just one area from which I draw strength to do this. They're watching every single thing that I do. And for me to be able to be an example for them of what can, how can I make it easy for them to be healthy and for them to be as athletic as they want to be. Um, it's just real easy. Like, I take a huge amount of pride in leading by example for them. And the same thing with my patients and same thing with my friends. That whole notion of be the change you wish to see. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I would have a hard time. I'm not saying that other people can't do it differently, but for me, I take a huge amount of pride in eating in a way that would support everyone on earth getting all the food that they need to eat to be healthy. And so I guess I don't look at it like I think discipline speaks to this is really hard to do and I have to get myself to do it. For me, it's like, I think this comes down to how I define myself. So mm-hmm. when you begin with that and then you work from there. It's sort of um, easy. It'd be hard to do
0: differently. Beautiful. We went over our minute again, but we'll, let's see if we, <laughs> let's see if we can. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, no, no. I'm it excited. was, it was a combination of both of us. So yeah. Sarah, Sarah wants to know, and then I'm going to combine this with another, another woman who's asking about her son who plays division three football and has uh, egg whites and fish a couple times a week because he, he thinks he needs the protein. But Sarah wants to know, can you remind me why like wild seafood or white meat in small amounts like as a condiment once or twice a week is the bad thing? And um, have I missed the whole point here?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, she's she's playing the sort of the the moderation game, right? Like, can I get away with that? Is it bad if I only have a little bit? Um, and you know, a lot of people are asking those questions. You know, you're you're talking fish and chicken. You're talking sort of like a Mediterranean style diet. Um, and actually, there was a study just published, like within the last month. Uh, Neil Barnard uh, ran this study, and maybe you say, uh, maybe you saw it, but he he pit a vegan diet head to head against the Mediterranean diet. And on all outcomes but one, the vegan diet outperformed. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, that's it's awesome because there's very, very little – I mean, people are having a hard time making those comparisons. But really, I think the main thing is opportunity cost, that if you're eating chicken or fish, you're missing out on the other food that you could have had that would have been more uh, health-promoting, like beans, for example, uh, also a fantastic source of protein. But there's also research comparing – um, you know, fish versus legume intake. Uh, and you know, uh, one of the studies I think we put up in the film,
0: No, uh, you did, there was one in the film that was, it was from the national academy, uh, no, no, the national, national cancer Institute that showed that just one serving of chicken or pork or white meat increased your chance of colon cancer by 30%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, there's absolutely research. There's research looking at uh, risk of all cause mortality, basically risk of just dying early. There's research looking at, um, I think it was non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but just basically these substitution studies where you, when you replace, you know, oftentimes in the research, people will, will say, uh, they'll say, Hey, I'm looking at research on fish and it doesn't seem like it does anything bad. Um, but increasingly researchers are looking at these substitution studies that are more realistic where it's like, okay, well, let's not look at fish in a vacuum. What about fish versus beans um, or or other plant-based sources of protein? And they, the, the plant-based sources of protein, I can pull up some studies at some point if you want. Um, (laughs) They they outperform. So I would say um, for a bunch of reasons, right? You got the heavy metals in the fish. Uh, Anyway, I I won't go into it, but
0: yeah.
1: yeah.
0: This, This is a question from Debbie. And this seems to be a question that we get, you know, maybe one out of 10 questions is, so Debbie's 70, like um, the other woman that was doing the HIIT, she's also, she's running, she's doing cross training, she's doing weights, um, and she does one rest day a week, but she finds that she's getting, she's tired more than she'd like. And she's wondering if there's something that she should be eating or doing something to boost her energy levels. And I I can't imagine this isn't something that you hear from some of the athletes you work with as they're transitioning maybe to a plant based diet.
1: Sure, I mean I hear that in general just from anybody plant based diet or otherwise. Yeah, she's training a lot. You said she's training six days a week and recovering one day. Is that right?
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, the there's something called maximum recoverable volume, and it sounds like she's exceeded that. Basically, there's a sweet spot. There's an amount of exercise beneath which You know, you don't make the progress you want to, and then there's a a a, you know a a training volume above which you can't recover. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like there's a few things. Either she has to figure out a way to recover faster, or she would want to decrease her training volume. And so, um,
0: how do you recover faster?
1: Right, right, because that's that's um, (laughs) the the more related to the food side of it. So uh, a few things. One is. Is she getting in the total amount of calories that she requires? I mean, is she accidentally calorically restricting, which is uh, maybe a great thing for longevity, but in terms of performance, it's really hard to to perform at your absolute best while calorically restricting. So Mm -hmm. one thing is, is she meeting her calorie needs? then it's like I was saying before about chronometer. We would basically take a look and see, is she getting the carbs that she needs to perform? Is she getting the protein that she needs to recover? Is she getting all the micronutrients that she needs? Is her vitamin D crazy low? Yeah. Um, is she anemic? You know, if she's low in iron, that's another thing. So those are all things we would want to look at so that we could see how do we troubleshoot. But
0: do you, with the athletes that you're working with, the professional athletes, do you ask them to do a food log and do the, the, the and, uh, what's it called? The cry, what? Chronometer.
1: Chronometer. Yeah, absolutely. Chronometer. I mean, that's the way that we, you know, that would be like, um, I don't know if I was a psychologist and I met with a patient and they said, give me advice. I'm like, well, what's your problem? Like, yeah. you're going to tell me what you're like, what are you struggling with? And and that way I have the data that I need to help you because otherwise, you know, there's no sawed off shotgun. I mean, people thought that there would be, and that's why a multivitamin was invented, but it turns out that that didn't really do much, if anything. So, yeah, I think we just need to know why, you know, what is her weak link? What's the limiting factor? And then how do we address that?
0: Yep. This is from Amy. She says her cholesterol is still high. It's, it's a, it's a 200. It came down 30 points over the course of about six months, but she was hoping it would be lower. And she wants to know if, if you think that it'll drop more in the future, if she continues eating plant-based, I have an answer for her, but first I want you to go.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's wonderful that she made the transition. It's great that her cholesterol dropped the way that it did. Um, I think, so there's something called familial hypercholesterolemia, which is when in your family, you basically have the genetics to have really high cholesterol. Some people have that. um, Most people don't. So you know, it would be interesting to know if you know where your family is at in this regard. But I would be very optimistic that your cholesterol could continue to drop as you continue to make mm-hmm. uh, diet lifestyle modifications. I mean, there's no reason why. I mean, all of us have continue. You know, we have room to grow and to get better. So yeah, I, I would be optimistic that you can continue to drop that as your diet, um, yeah, and lifestyle improve. Yeah, what's your thought? No,
0: I think that, that you're right. I, you know, because I've seen so many different lipid panels and seeing what they have done over seven days, over 28 days, over six weeks, over six months. In order to get a good picture of this, Amy, it's important to know all fractions. So what's your HDL? What's your LDL? What's your What are your triglycerides? Because a lot of women, and women in particular, have these HDLs, David, that are sometimes like 70 to 100. And I say, if you're 70 to 100, your LDL is 60, you got a total of 200 you're fine. I mean, don't, don't sweat it. You're not going to be able to get that down too much lower, you know? So that, that to me is sometimes very telling. So we, like you just said, right. We, we got to see the whole picture just like with the chronometer.
1: I agree. Like I I would be more interested in specifically looking at her LDL. Yeah. Right. That would be, that would be, that'd be far more impactful, right? Like you were saying, HDL can occupy a big percentage of that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we want to know LDL. And there's other things, too, like APOB and LP little a. And so there's a whole bunch of other pieces of the puzzle. Like you said, again, we want to see the whole picture and then we can figure out.
0: Yeah. Susie wants to know, David, what would you like people of all ages to understand most? Very broad question.
1: Like in general, like in life?
0: I, You um, know what? It's very open-ended. That's, that's, I'm just reading it verbatim. <laughs> you you take it however it feels right.
1: Oh, that's a great question. What do I wish everyone understood? What do you
0: what would you like people of all ages to understand most?
1: Uh man, that's a great I'm gonna get I'm gonna take that as a meta question rather than just um. Okay. Yeah. But I guess that we're uh we're all in this together. That uh if I do something people like to think that what they do doesn't have an influence beyond themselves. And so what I do is going to affect you and maybe you can't feel my butterfly effect. um, But it's, it's going to be there. And so I guess to, to recognize that we're as cheesy as this sounds um, siblings uh, in this world. And uh, so we should treat each other that way. It's really, right. It's easy to like go to a family reunion and feel all that love for all these people who we already know. But what about, the people who we don't know what, just cause they're like our 15th and 20th cousins. We're not going to treat them as if they were family. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I think about if I was like on a desert Island, how absolutely happy I would be if I just <laughs> met some random person, like whoever they happen to be, I'd be like, man, you're my brother. You're my sister. Like, cool. Like why, why do I have to be on a desert Island to feel that way about people? So I guess I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. Uh, uh, answer.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. Pamela wants to know, um, I'm, I've been reading quite a bit about metabolic health and following glucose levels through continual glucose monitoring. What are your thoughts about this? I have no idea about that.
1: So continuous glucose monitoring, um, or CGM, you know, you can, you can basically technology has come along so far that, uh, a diabetic no longer has to just like give themselves a finger prick measure their blood glucose and then do it a few hours later, you know, they can just constantly be monitoring this. And so, uh, I'm assuming that, you know, we're talking about in the context of diabetes, but there are some people who are not doing that in the context of diabetes. So, I mean, in the context of diabetes, I think, uh, CGM is a very useful tool. Um, if, you're not in that domain, I would just ask, what are you looking to get out of it? Is it that you're looking to just see how good your blood glucose is? Yeah. Um, you can do that without an invasive, I mean, you can, you can just check your A1C periodically, you know, when you go to the doctor and have a blood, you know, a, a workup. Um, Cause I don't know, what are you really going to glean from seeing that after a bowl of oatmeal, your blood sugar goes up? Is that bad? Um, I would say that's fine and it's normal. If you were to look at blood sugar going up as a bad thing, maybe you need a keto diet, and I think that'd be a, a, a problem. Um, so I would just say, are you looking at the variables of greatest importance? If you're a diabetic, you, you very quite possibly are. If you're not a diabetic, there are other metrics that I would probably
0: turn to first. You 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 brought up keto here. What what's your opinion? And if you could keep it.
1: Yeah, good luck. Good yeah. luck, man. Good luck.
0: No. But as far as, you know, paleo turning into keto, turning into carnivore, it's just like, you know, the next one is trying to up the, up the previous one as far as more meat intake, lower carb intake. And then do you think this is going to have some pretty detrimental effects on these people that are doing this?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea how it could not. I mean, people are looking at these short-term outcomes and they're saying, look, my blood sugar dropped look how healthy I am, or I dropped weight. That's awesome. Okay, fine. But you look at these um, long-term health outcomes are what really matter. Like, are you going to increase your risk of dying early? Like to me that matters more
0: mm. than
1: um, is my blood sugar lower by 10 points this week. And so for example, there's a Harvard meta-analysis, I think it was published in 2018, looking at a uh, risk of dying early when people ate uh, an animal based or uh, you know, so when, when people were dropping their carbs super low, um, you could see that, uh, risk of dying early was, I think it was like uh, about 20% greater. And so on a carnivore diet, on a keto diet, that's a problem. Um, and you know, really it seemed to be the case when animal foods comprised the, the calories in the diet. So yeah, I I mean, I think it's a, a bad move. I think it's it's missing the forest for the trees. It's chasing short-term outcomes and forgetting that these are just biomarkers. What we care about is did I get sick and die, not like did I get a you know nice blood labs did the doctor hand me a piece of paper with good numbers on it like that matters too, but only as an indicator of those other things that we actually really care about.
0: I mean, um, you know, Dr. Clapper refers to uh, these these diets as basically uh, physiologic parlor tricks, right? Where they yeah. They may make certain things look good and do things, but it's basically smoke and mirrors. It's basically like like keto. It's fooling your body into going in starvation mode when you know you're 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 really you're just uh, reducing the carbohydrate so much that now you're what? You're burning the, the ketones.
1: Yeah, exactly. And going back to performance for a second, you can tank high intensity performance, just tank it on a keto diet. Um, and when people speak otherwise, you know, you're looking at research where people are doing push-ups or pull-ups where it's your own body weight. So if you drop body weight, but you're also getting weaker, then proportionally you might stay the same. You might be like, Hey, I'm getting weaker, but I'm le- I weigh less. So I can mm. move my body just as well. That's very, very different than sprint times. That's very, very different than your bench press. Um, it's different than, uh, there's research looking at elite race walkers and how they underperform when they're eating a keto diet. So on a health front, on a performance front, I mean, to me, the jury is in on that one.
0: Hey, you know what, David? Man, this is this has been great. I've taken up way too much of your time. Thank, your pleasure. thank, thank you for um, man answering these questions, sharing your story, talking about the game changers, the great work that you're doing with these elite level athletes and the trickle down effect that's going to have on all the kids uh, in this country, so that they can have better performance, better muscles, better health, and be better stewards of the environment. It's all good. It's all good.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rip. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm sorry I answered all the questions too fast. Um next time I'll fix it. I'll take my time and get into them. But I appreciate that. I appreciate your your kind acknowledgement and thank you for everything you do. You're a massive inspiration um, to me and I know to tons of
0: other people. So thank you. All right. Hey, will you will you do the sign off with me? Peace. Peace. Engine two. Keep it playing strong. Boop. Thank you, David, for the backstage peek at your work that continues to elevate not just collegiate professional and Olympic athletes, but anyone who seeks a performance edge in life. It doesn't matter if you're training for a triathlon or seeking the energy to enjoy a day with your grandkids, becoming plant strong is a true game changer. Okay, we'll see you next week. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kortowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.